0: We've been in a series in generosity. We're finishing up this morning, a four-week series, which is a practice. Generosity is a practice, and as you all know and as you've been hearing over the last several um, months, when we institute a new practice, what we're essentially saying is that we've got to work on the practice in order for the practice to be something that's part of our life, a lifestyle. A lifestyle change—it takes practice, and generosity takes practice. We're looking at a passage of scripture this morning. You know, uh, as we talked about generosity, we've already discovered that generosity is a plan. You got to have a plan for generosity. Uh, Number two, it's an identity, and number three, it's a way of life, and number four, it's a sacrifice. This morning, it's a sacrifice. Here's the passage: Luke 21 verse one to four. This is a very, a sliver, just a teeny, teeny little sliver in the New Testament, in the Gospels. I mean, it's just, it reminds me of being like a piece of paper that you lose in your book, right? And you're reading along and all of, oh, look at that. I just found it. I just found that little, I wonder where that went. Just a teeny little sliver of paper hidden in one of your books and you uncover it. And there it is. It's that small and you could miss it. We could miss the, the whole point, and yet I think Jesus is making one of the most profound statements in all the Gospels in these four verses. He looked up and saw rich um, the rich, meaning the rich rulers in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem, and he's watching them put their gifts into the treasury. So there was a treasury, and you people would bring their tithes and offerings into the temple, and, and the Pharisees were bringing their their um, their wealth in and dropping it in the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting two small copper coins, and he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put more in than all of them, for they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Jesus makes an observation. It's a contrast but it's an observation about generosity and what the real cost of generosity is. And it's a challenging message. It's not a long message. Uh, I, I want to invite some um, dear friends and uh, special guests up to have a conversation about generosity as we close the series. But one last thought about generosity. One last thought. The widow should remind us, first of all, remember back in the Old Testament, I began, right after I got through with my sabbatical, I was writing this book on the life of Elijah, I said, let's, let's study the life of Elijah, and I started where? I started halfway into the story where Elijah's on the run, he's um, running from King Ahab and Queen Isabel, who wants him literally dead, for pronouncing a curse on the land because of their sin of idolatry. And he ends up, and God tells him to go to Jephthah, which is Queen Jezebel's hometown, which were alien to him in his faith. And I want you to go to one person. Do you remember the person he was told to go to? The widow. And you remember what the widow had? She had one cup of flour and one cup of oil, and that's all she had. That's it. And she was planning on making one last cake bread and for her and her son, and then they were going to die. They had nothing and she knew she had nothing. And God said, go to her and ask her for food. That's how ridiculous this is. That's how ridiculous it is for us to put into context in a relevant, affluent Christian community the concept of giving everything you have to God. I mean, that's really how absurd and ridiculous it is. And as the widow in the Old Testament gave her last two things, This woman, and now in the New Testament, Jesus points out, gave her last two things. And here's the whole point of the teaching. It's entirely possible to be generous with your money, but not radically generous in your heart. Unless you understand what a true sacrifice is, and who made the ultimate sacrifice for you. We are way beyond platitudes this morning. So, excuse me if you're new, or if you've just come back, maybe been visiting, Um, But I'm laying it all on the table this morning. This teeny tiny four verse passage in the gospel of Luke will either rock your world and cause a true conversion of your heart or you will walk away scratching your head wondering how Jesus could commend someone for turning over all they have to him and how financially imprudent, ridiculously irresponsible that actually is. The former get it, the latter don't. I've been been at this a long time. I find it ironic that people who have grown up in the church or who have been Christ followers for any length of time are either afraid to see the reality, this passage and its implications, or too stuck in two worlds struggling to figure out how to fit God into an already full life. And what I found ironic is to come to Jesus, we are asked to lay it all down to accept his way of life, Luke fourteen. You remember when Jesus said to the disciples in Luke chapter fourteen, verse twenty seven, "Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." The the, the man the, the request is that Jesus says is you got to lay your whole life you got to lay your whole life down, and I think sometimes we look at that and we really can't quite figure it out we're wondering figuratively, there's gotta be something figurative here because it's most certainly not literal. God can't possibly be asking for it all. I'm, I'm struck by two things. The radical nature of this passage and its implications and the sad reality of how few of us are really willing to consider it even as an alternative to an existing way of life. And what I see often that discourages me in my greatest moments of despair about my job and task as a pastor wondering if any difference at all is the fact that I'm haunted by the thought of how few are willing to consider what could be at the cost of what is. The implication of this passage is so great, it seems seemingly impossible to do. And here it is, a widow in utter poverty. She has nothing at all. She has no 401k plan, no retirement. We can't even relate. Really, I mean, honestly, we can't relate to this woman in the first century who has actually nothing. And f- in fact, and, and I, 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 I'm hesitant to read it in its original language, but I will, not, not to show you that I can read it. But, um, but to really show you something here, to, to help bring a level of, of awareness of education to this passage because as Jesus teaches this, the very last thing he says, and the original language says it all. It really does. It's loaded. It's just loaded. And, and, and this is what it says in, in the original language. It says, "Oute de tu hustere tamas, panta ton bayon, han ebalen. And I know that's gibberish to you. And mostly gibberish to me, even though I knew it at one point. I've lost so much of it, but it's so meaningful here. I really want to point this out, and I mean this in the most sincere way. When Jesus does this, he's giving us the subject, and he's giving us the verb at the end, and then he's giving us the object. The subject is aute, and aute refers back to the widow. And a widow defined in first century is a woman of destitute. She's at the point of desperation. She has nothing. She's at the point of begging because she has nothing for the next meal. Okay, that's the widow. And so Jesus is saying, Aute, that woman, and then it says, De ectu hustere matas. Literally means the woman of complete and total destitution. She has nothing, she has no means, and she, she, she can't survive. That's, that's the, the, the strength of the woman with that level of destitute, and then the verb, ebalen, to give. She gave, baleo, to give. She gives. In the treasury, what does she give? Autes, ponta, pon, bion. Bion comes from bios. We know what bios is, a biosphere, life. Bios is life. She gives all of her life, everything she has to live on, to exist on. She throws it all into the, so you can see the, you, you feel the weight of this passage, don't you? I mean, you feel it, like a woman of absolute destitute throws in everything she has, and it's gone, there it is. It's done, she did it. And I'm struck by this woman. Literally, she threw in her whole life. How do you throw your life into a treasury? How do you literally give your whole life to Jesus? How do you do that? And by the way, it's in contrast, because Jesus has been talking for the last two chapters to the rich Pharisees, These are the religious leaders. And to be in leadership in Judaism in the first century meant you were a wealthy person. You had money because you bought your position of leadership. And so you're in control because you have all the money, and it was out of their excess. They gave off the top. It was that extra robe in their closet that had like a a matzo ball stain on it. And it was time to get rid of it, so they gave that away, right? And maybe a little soy sauce as well, I don't know whether the Jews had soy sauce back in that day or not, but I can't imagine a world without soy sauce. But, so it had a stain on it and they gave it away. And, be, and it was like, ah, uh, you know, it was just a little bit off the top. And it was so much more money than what she gave because all she gave were these two little coins. They were called lepton. Two of them mean lepta. And two leptons, which is lepta in plural, They're mites. We call them mites. It's translated mite, but it's really a lepton. It's one quarter of an hour of a day's wage. One quarter of an hour of an entire day's wage. That's all she had, and she threw that in. That's it. That's all she had. Uh, Could you imagine how frightening that would be to have nothing unless you have something better? And that's the point. How frightening it is to give up everything you have unless, of course, you have something far better than what you think you have. Most Christians lack the heart of generosity and sacrificial living because they don't know what they really have. We are so feeble and earthly-minded to think that our greatest resources is Money. And it's not. We are not mere mortals. You and I, as followers of Christ, are eternal beings with the eternal power of God in us. And yet, oftentimes we look at our lives as though our greatest power and strength is what we our resources that we have. And we have something far greater. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. And that's a tough message. But when you get that, you unlock the secret of the Christian life. And I'm left with only one question for us to ponder. Is this possible? Seriously. Or should I just preach some well-written platitudes about being more sacrificial in your life, like the poor destitute widow, and we all get back to our lives? I said unless earlier. Unless. And this is all This is what I want to leave you with. What is the unless? Unless you understand the greater context of this passage and what is going on here, unless you realize what you have, what you have is all you've got. The greater context of this passage is that Jesus is standing in the temple. And the temple in first century is something we Christians don't understand. The temple meant... As N.T. Wright once said, it's where heaven and earth meet and do business. In other words, it's God coming to earth. The one spot on the earth is the temple where the presence of God comes. And he calls his people to come to the temple to offer their sacrifice to enter into his presence. And Jesus is standing there, and he's watching the ultimate sacrifice, thinking, what I will about to do, what I'm about to do, is offer my own life as the ultimate sacrifice. And we know in that ultimate sacrifice, when Jesus offers himself, he is the ultimate sacrifice, and the temple becomes irrelevant. Offering of animal sacrifice becomes irrelevant. Why? Because when Jesus offers his life and dies on the cross, he is demonstrating that he didn't give half of his life. He didn't give 10% of his life. He gave 100% of his life for us. And he becomes the temple. The incarnation of God is the presence of God in Jesus. Just as the temple was, now Jesus is. Do you see that? that now Jesus is taking the place of the temple and saying, I am the presence of God in your midst because of my sacrifice. You have all the presence of God in your life. And when you understand that, you will totally understand and have a right perspective of everything else in your life. Everything goes through that lens. That's the point. And then the widow was making a sacrifice to God the God who made the ultimate sacrifice for her. And until you recognize that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for you, you will never be able to even consider making the ultimate sacrifice for him. That's the point. Now, this is where the message gets really hard, down to the impossible. Unless you realize that you are a Christian because you believe in the cross of Christ, the ultimate sacrifice of eternal life, you will never be able to consider offering an ultimate sacrifice to Jesus in return. We talk about it, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, how do we do that? We say it. We believe it. Romans 12, verse 1 says, offer your body a living sacrifice to God. And we're like, Well, how in the world do you do that? Well, it's right here. When you understand you're standing in the temple and you're looking at Jesus, who's the ultimate sacrifice for me, who opens the door for his presence in my life, now I begin to understand that I have everything and I have nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. That's the power of God. We talk about in Galatians 2.20... I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I lives, but Christ who lives in me. We say that. I've, I've died, but now Christ lives in me. Well, if Christ really lives in me, then is the impossible possible? Is the impossible possible if Christ is living in you? And it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in me. We say it in Luke chapter 14 and verse 33, the last thing Jesus says about discipleship in that section is that, which is a really crazy statement, Luke 14, 33, unless you are willing to give up all your possessions, you cannot be my disciple. Now, that is the craziest thing I've ever thought. How in the, why in the world would Jesus ask you to give up everything you have? Seriously, all of your possessions to become a disciple. We walk past that. We step over it like, oh dear, That looks really interesting, but I'm just going to kind of step over that and, oh, gosh, I'm glad I'm on the other side of that. Now, what else is next? It's like, I'm with you on this. Do you understand the implication here? We're talking about opening the secret of the Christian life, and it's the most frightening thing in the world or it could be the most dazzling thing you've ever seen in your whole life. It's up to you. I've come to this new realization and it's literally changing me from the inside. And I thought I was a generous person. I thought I was, but I've been holding a lot back. And I've been feeling a lot more like the Pharisee and now I'm kind of feeling like I want to be the widow. And that's a very scary proposition unless, of course, you really know the ultimate sacrifice has been paid. I mean, seriously. Seriously. Lay it all down if you really believe it. That's my point. That's what I'm getting at. The widow's sacrifice was only possible because of Jesus' sacrifice, which made it possible. Jesus became the widow for us so we we could become the widow for Jesus. Unless his sacrifice enables your sacrifice, then your offering will be 10% of your life rather than 100%. I know this is a big ask think about it. Are you ready? It happened to me in high school. I fell head over heels in love with Jesus, my Savior. Crazy, I know, in high school, as a freshman, radically changed my life, radically changed my life, and it started small, just small little changes. Bible study, prayer, gathering in a group for fellowship and encouragement, handing over parts of my life. I remember peer pressure to drink and to have sex, and I gave them over to Jesus in high school telling others about Jesus, and it just kept growing. My single-minded focus on becoming sold out for Jesus led to a conversation with Jesus about letting him pick the right person for me to marry. Not sleeping together until we were married, our future passion for ministry together, the way we raised our kids, and how we managed and honored the Lord with our, ministry, our money. And it all just kept growing, one little thing after another. Jim Elliott was the one who said, he is no fool to give up what he cannot gain to gain what he cannot lose. What's your plan? I, I did something radical, and I want to invite uh, George, if you could come up, and Dominic and Francois, some, advantage- some, some really, really sharp men. Would you guys come up? And join me up here. Grab some, some chairs, and bring that fourth one too so I can sit. And... Uh, I want to have a frank conversation about this because I know this is radical thinking and it, it would be wonderful just to leave it where it is, but come on up you here, you guys. Francois, yeah, um, yeah. sit right there. This is George Andrews. This is Dominic Morris and Francois Vajon. It's the best, best I can do, buddy. That's the best I can do. My Siri says it better than me, by the way. My car can say it better than I can. But, but I love you still. And all of these three guys have dedicated their lives to, and jobs to helping others. And I want to ask you guys some questions. Um, this is what you guys do for a living. And so my question for you is, um, first of all, is this crazy talk that we're talking about right now, from your perspective, as a Christian, and as a financial advisor, I'm going to pass the mic around. I'm going to grab another one too. So this is an open conversation.
1: Yeah, I think so. It is pretty crazy. Um, it feels crazy to all of us. But I was in a men's group earlier this earlier this week, and actually we we're kind of talking about this. And one of the like really exciting things for me, one of the cool things for me, is in our the company I work for. There's people that have been clients for probably 40 years. And so I can go back and look at some of the earliest like work and projections we put together for them. Um, and you know over the years, we've just in, been encouraging them to be more and more generous, and you would think that that would lead to them having less at the end of the day. But um, to go back to some of them, yeah, that far, that long into the past and see that God has been so faithful and that... They've continued to pour out the resources that he's brought in and he's only given them more and more to, to steward. So I think it is crazy, but like I said last week, when we take at, at his word, he, uh, he shows up and proves himself true.
0: And you're telling the truth, right? This is for real. This is yeah. the honest truth about what you've seen. Yep. Yeah.
2: So I'd agree that it is radical, um, but I, I think the reality is what, what we see in our business is that there's no correlation between wealth and generosity. We work with people that have wealth from a little to to an exorbitant amount, and it's a fallacy to believe that I'll be generous when, because that never happens. That never occurs. So, The reality is that the majority of our clients, when we go through the financial planning and we put an investment plan together, the majority of them are gonna have the problem at the end of their lives that they're gonna have too much money left over and that the government's gonna get a lot of that money. Because for the very wealthy, if you have above the estate tax exclusion amount, the government's gonna take 40% of it. So part of our job is to help show them that one, you can either give money through various trust strategies to the kids prior to that date, or you can give money away. I'd rather give money to the church than to the government at the end of my life. (laughs) That's just me. (laughs) But majority of them have a lot of wiggle room where they can be way more generous and still not have a problem to run out of money. Because that is the number one concern. The number one concern is, will I run out of money? I don't wanna work very hard to get to the point where I'm supposed to be enjoying my life at the end, and then I have to go back beg- to my kids, or you know, I can't live the life I wanna be. And having a plan in place put, puts, you know, provides a peace of mind to, to say, yeah, you can do it.
3: Yeah, uh, just to kind of piggyback off of that, I, I think the other aspect of it is it can be intimidating. Um, to really take a deep dive into what your current financial picture looks like. Um, there's a lot of uh, people that um, may feel that they're not at the same uh, level of financial stability as their peers are. And so in our na- nature, it's very easy for us to say, or look to compete. And, and so I think like what Francois was talking about, the, the planning aspect of it is, is a huge part and I know all of our businesses and that when you have a financial plan put in place you're able to see that you actually can give a lot more than what you're actually doing um, and everybody's wealth is different my wealth is different than what George wealth is and everybody next to you, everybody's wealth is different there's not a, a one fit size fit all category for wealth um, and I think that's the necessary steps that we we all take to make sure that our clients understand is that your wealth is giving something it may not be as much as the person your next-door neighbor but your wealth is different. And so if there's not that sort of resource as it relates to money that you can give, time is something that you can give um, as well. So
0: those are um, very important things to understand. So how do you guys, what's the ultimate objective here? I mean, as you guys see it, what is the ultimate objective at the end of the day that you wanna see with people that you work with? and we're talking about a Christian perspective, of course, but even from not a Christian perspective, this makes a lot of sense as well.
1: I mean, at the end of the day, I, I want all of my clients to be able to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, and there's there's a part of it where, I mean, I I almost, one of, we had another advisor in our company i think he was in south carolina or something but he went to a funeral of one of his clients and it was this amazing amazing funeral tons of people there supporting this man who had passed away and um i think it was the guy's wife or one of his kids but the basically the refrain was thank you for pushing us thank you for continuing to press in and um i li- i live with a little bit of this like fear that i'm going to be in heaven and i'm going to have clients there that come to me and say like George why didn't you push us harder like why didn't you tell us that this was going to be so worth it that this was going to be so much better than you know adding another level to that vacation home and just you know I just yeah I would I mean that would be the worst thing I could imagine is hearing that from people like this is the best thing you can do with your resources it's going to be so worth it at the end of the day
2: I would agree with with George. Um, In our business, probably 75% of our clients are secular, maybe 25% are Christian, and Christians don't have a monopoly on generosity. We have secular clients who are extremely generous and are basically giving all their money away when they they die, but the motivation is completely different. We're called to it by God in honoring what he's blessed us with. Um, And I think, Our responsibility is to help steward people towards that. Um, But the rewards are palpable. The rewards for Christians is eternal. But even the rewards for secular clients is palpable in the sense that they just get this freedom that hey, I can actually survive with with less than what I thought. And they can see the difference that's being made while they're alive, not just their legacy. Um, and I think that's very powerful. Yeah, and I,
3: I think the other thing, too, is um, what the end game result is, is obviously from the, the non-Christian perspective is that you want to be able to feel that you're able to, to live your life and actually enjoy it and, and not be so wound up by the money aspect of it, and, and so um, I think oftentimes what we see in our clients is that um, there's not a place where they really feel that they can give and I think one of the kind of the awkward questions that we have to ask when we're doing kind of like an onboarding of a new client is are you giving because you kind of feel that that response if you say no you kind of feel bad like oh I, I'm not giving to any sort of charity I'm not sorry giving and it's really understandable but there's so many different places that you can start by giving I mean there's things as if you have grandkids and you can give to their college expense fund like that's considered giving that's a charitable charitable giving and like what for instance, I was talking about, for a tax perspective, it's a tax write-off too. So, I mean, there's a benefit to that. So there's places that you can start that if, you, if you're not familiar with a charity, if you're not really tied to one, it, it, you don't necessarily have to start there. There's different aspects of, of where you can go. But I think over the, the long haul is that you, you want to make sure that, again, that we're, we're from, like I said, the non-Christian perspective is that you're able to enjoy your life and not be so tied and wound up by your finances. There's obviously so much more um, aspects to life in that.
0: I want to get really real, like I haven't already, but I'm going to get really real with you and honest, if that's okay. I did something super crazy this week. This, this series has totally changed my life. I don't know if it's changed anybody else's, but it has changed mine. And um, crazy, this is pretty crazy. I, I pro, I've got to be honest with you, I've been doing this a long time, and I don't think a series has ever touched me uh, in a more powerful way, ever. I've preached, of course I try to do what I'm preaching, but um, in this particular case, um, God has been speaking to me, and Denise, and um, whatever, like, if it comes to generosity, she's 100% on board, I don't even have to ask. I really don't, that's the kind of woman I'm married to. Um, Now if I want another trumpet, that's another question. (laughs) So I haven't gotten it yet. But <laughs> but in this case, I wrote a Christian manifesto. And a manifesto is simply a, a set of beliefs. And I put these beliefs together. I just crazy. I just said, okay, I'm going to write my own Christian manifesto. I confess to God I've, that I have a hardened heart that comes from a self-focused, disobedient heart unyielded fully to Jesus. I despise the lack of generosity evidenced by my self-absorbed life. Um, I stand against feeling useless and unheard, defeated, feeling people aren't listening to me, don't care, don't take it, or have a take it or leave it attitude as I pour my heart and soul into attempting to help people live a surrendered life to Jesus. I reject the lie that the surrendered, cruciform life of the believer is not possible in this life for me or others. I commit to being a widow, the widow, the the non-bigger barn-building rich man, desiring fully to give it all to Jesus, to live the fully surrendered, cruciform life to him. I plan to show my generosity by freeing up significantly more and more of my financial resources, living the cruciform life, and I yield to the Holy Spirit, and there's more there, but, and then I wrote my plan out, and it's very personal, and it's for us alone, but. You know, beyond just continuing to increase our tithe to the, to the church and to others, um, I really felt like the Lord said, so you need to free up some more money. And so I went to George, our financial planner, and said, you need to find me some more money, and um, we're gonna give this away. And it's a third of our salary, and I wanna double that next year, and I gotta be honest with you. I have never felt, well, I have, but not in a long time, more freedom, more liberty and more joy in knowing that I am letting go because Jesus let go for me. Not because I have to. God's not like making me do this to be a better Christian. It's not trying to, be a, trying to compete for the, the best giver or whatever. This is between me and the Lord, Denise and I and the Lord and our family. And I want to ask you guys a question, is that absolutely crazy and nuts?
1: First thing I said was, no, Todd, you can't do that. That's part of my inheritance. And <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <That's
1: Ben. laughs> we figured it out. We found the, found the middle. Um, I don't even know why we're talking, Todd. You've been amazing today. And I feel like anything we say is just watering down, you know, taking away from what you said. But, um, I mean, I, you know, I, I love what you're saying because I think it's so what the Lord's asking us to do and what, I mean, you modeling it for the church is just powerful. You being at the, at the front and setting that standard and truly living in a way that is set apart, um, I like to think of this CS Lewis quote and I think I'll botch it but the the gist of it is if if our lives as christians look similar to other people with our same income and same same means basically we're missing the mark I mean there's in the news in the new testament it's hard to draw the line and say this is exactly how much we should give so it always comes back to really being a hard issue it's not just checking the 10% box and um, I think as you know, the Lord says in Malachi generosity is the one area where he says to test me in this. Just test me just see what happens watch what I'm going to do and so I just want to say thank you to you for yeah, sharing that story because I think it's powerful when we share our testimonies and all get to come around each other and be compelled to to greater generosity because of what God's done in somebody else's life. So um, I think, yeah, I want to report. I mean, I know I'll get it, but maybe everybody else. (laughs) In a year, what did the Lord do?
2: So Todd, I'll reply by saying that, and Don mentioned earlier, that this is gonna be very custom to every person. And the call to generosity is gonna be different based on what's going on in your life. when me and I were just married, there was a pastor who kept hammering on the concept that show me your calendar and show me your bank statement and I'll tell you who your God is. Um, it's not about us saying who our God is, that is actually living that life. And that, that's been very convicting for us. So for some people, writing a check might actually be pretty easy, but to make time to mentor people, to serve at the LA mission, to, to be inconvenienced, which is really what it comes down to, that might be a bigger burden and might be more important for you to let go. Because to your point earlier, God wants our entire life. So I think we got to do the introspection and see what part of my life am I holding on the closest and, and, and am I valuing the most? And let's start chipping away at all those areas.
3: Yeah, I, I think to, to your point, Todd, I, I don't think it's, um, it's crazy in the aspect that that's something that you feel that God has called you to do and I think that's something that all of us have to take a deep dive to look at and realize what is God calling us to do as it relates to what our resources are um, and and I think like I said earlier it's not so much just about the financial aspect of the things that we can give there's so many other things that we can start with when it comes to giving I think I, I mentioned this earlier it was like even if your, your salary is something that you can't give if, if you're working for a company and and you have some sort of like highly concentrated stock in that one company, you can donate that and the value of that. So like there's so many different things that you can do that you are able to actually truly do give. And, and I think the thing that we try to make sure that we understand our clients know is what those things are. Um, and, it, and it may not be a, a beautiful picture in the beginning of saying you can give all this money away, but it's a starting point. And I think that's the main thing for a lot of people is you just got to start. And when you start, you gotta be consistent. And when you get consistent, then that's when you start to see, just like in, in our faith, when we're consistent with our faith and and, and and building our relationship with God, things start to flourish from there. Um, and, and so the overall aspect of just starting, continuing to do it, once you get to that point in your life where your your finances may support that, you're able to start to give a little bit more and more and more and more. So great
0: advice. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you all for listening. Hey, let's close with communion. And as we close with communion, just some, an opportunity for you to really consider what you've heard this morning and come before the cross, which is the table, and uh, really ask the Lord, what's, um, what's he calling you to do? So, uh, as communion is being passed out, and we're going to just end our time with a song of worship, um, I want you to, you know, as you receive the bread and receive the cup, I want you to take, as Jesus said, that he gave his life as an ultimate sacrifice, not 10% of his life. He didn't give half of his life. He gave his whole life. And because he gave his whole life, the sacrifice that we make is possible. It's the answer. It's right in your hands. It's a symbol of the answer that's right in your hands. Jesus' life so that we might live a fully freed up life, a life of joy, a life of generosity. So Jesus, we ask that we might have a moment with you and uh, reflect on your sacrifice and the one we are willing to make in Jesus' name, amen.
4: You can go ahead and take the elements whenever you get them. We're going to go ahead and start the song and just stand with us when you're ready, when you're done with your elements. Uh. Can I invite us to stand now as we finish in worship?
5: Let's just sing it as a prayer to God to take us into that zone of discomfort, of risk, to take us into a place where we might be scared, we might feel the sacrifice that we have to make from our generosity and from our obedience. And Just as you pray this, think about what God might be calling you to specifically this week, this month. What is he calling you to? Just pray that he would lead you into a new chapter in your dependence on him, your reliance on him, and your trust in him. Spirit, my trust with us you walk upon When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I
4: presence of our Savior that we can do anything. When you call us out of the boat, it's not by ourselves, but it's with you, Jesus. So as we go on this adventure, on this journey, God, would you light up in our hearts that it's never on our own strength, but that you speak to us, you guide us, and you provide a way. And it's out of that place that we become more alive in you, God. So let us know deep in our hearts that it is with you. It is the with God life that we can do any of this. So Lord, would you saturate us with that truth? I am yours and you are mine. Jesus, you are so intimately acquainted with all of our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our fears. So would you come close even now and remind us of that truth, that you know us, you see us, and you guide us well. You lead us well. So we surrender to you because your ways are good and they are for us. So we love you, Lord. We worship you. We honor you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, guys, for coming and talking. That was so cool to hear from you guys. Bless you. We'll see you next week.